0: I want to go back with you for uh, a few minutes this evening to the last week of Jesus leading up to the cross. Let's be turning in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want to start with the familiar verses of 31 through 34. And we'll bounce around a little bit here in Luke 22. This is now Thursday. We spent quite a bit of time looking at some of the conversations and teachings of Jesus on Tuesday before the cross. Uh, We don't have much at all recorded in the New Testament about what Jesus was doing on Wednesday. But here we are on Thursday and we know that Jesus does several things uh, here. Uh, For one thing, he and his disciples prepare to eat the Passover meal, which um, this is Passover time. The old law is still in place, and the Jews are observing these feasts. Jesus was part of the Jews, and so they prepare to take the Passover but also during that time Jesus begins to talk to them about the Lord's Supper that will be taking place in his kingdom which will be set up here really really soon. And also Judas has, um, has been plotting along with Jewish leaders to bring Jesus, uh, to arrest him and to bring him uh, before the leaders. And so during this time, Jesus looks to Simon, let's read here in Luke twenty-two, thirty-one, saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands, or he asks to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, that the rooster will not crow this night until you deny three times that you know me. These thoughts divide themselves into uh, two broad categories. The first one we'll look at is what does Satan want to do to each of us? What does Satan want to do to each of us? And then the second broad category is Uh, What does the Lord expect of me? What does the Lord expect of each of us? And so notice here, together, let's just get ready to uh, turn in our Bibles and flip around and learn. Um, Notice here that Satan wants to to possess each of us. Notice what Jesus says here concerning Peter. He said, the Lord uh, demands, or rather Satan demands to have you, Peter. He wants to own you. He wants to control you. He wants to direct your thoughts. He wants to direct your habits. He wants to direct your heart. He wants to direct your life. Uh, he wants to own you. Okay. This is quite important. Notice the double use of Simon's name here, Simon, Simon. Notice he uses Simon here and not Peter. Okay. Peter is not yet the rock that um, Jesus wants him to be us. As you remember that's the that's the ideal that Jesus has for uh, Peter in fact, look at that real quick look at John chapter one um, when Peter is brought to Jesus and uh, John one forty two he brought to him he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, "So you are Simon the son of." John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which really means rock. Rock. But, Simon is not there yet. Jesus calls him Simon. Simon, Simon. The double use of that usually indicates um, um, that something's not quite right here. You know, distress. Something's not quite right. You know, when when Jesus was in the home of Mary and Martha, he, he said to Martha, 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 thou art anxious and troubled about many things. Something wasn't quite right with Martha and something is not uh, right here um, with Peter. So Luke 22, notice that uh, Satan wants to own Peter, own him. Look in your Bibles please to John chapter 8. In reference to this ownership that Satan wants to have, John 8 and 44, John 8 and 44, you'll remember these words. Jesus said to uh, the Jewish leaders, You are of your father, the devil. Notice that. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, that's what Satan wants. He wants to own us. He wants control of us. Let's follow this up with 1 John 3. Just a second. 1 John 3. Look at verse 8 together. 1 John 3 verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus doesn't want this to happen to us. But Satan very much wants control of us. Notice also the same chapter, uh, verse 11 and 12, 1 John 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, taking us back to Cain and Abel, who was of the evil one. Notice that little statement there in verse 12. Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's was righteous. But Satan had control of Cain. Satan had control of several of these Jewish uh, leaders. And he wants control of us. But it's not it's not necessarily something that has to happen. Do you remember um, thinking about Peter? you remember after Jesus said you should... Deny yourself and take up the cross and follow him in Matthew 16. And he began to explain to his disciples that he's got to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer there and be killed and crucified and be the third day. What did Peter say? Not
1: so, Lord. You ain't got
0: to go. Yeah. Not so, Lord. Uh, I'm not going to let this happen to you. This will not happen. And then what did Jesus say to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. See, Jesus has been concerned about this, concerning Peter for quite a while. Get thee behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, You are minding the things of men and not the things of God. The Old Testament had explained very carefully that that the Messiah must die and Peter must understand that. And until he does, Satan is, um, is controlling his mind, controlling his heart.
1: David. People in the old text, in the Bible only had one name. When Jesus called them the same name twice, it's like he called them by their first and last name when you're in trouble, like he told Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Mike's uh, bringing up the double use of Simon, Simon and Martha, Martha. Also, brought it up with Saul, Saul on the on the road to Damascus. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like your mother calling you by your first, middle, and and my mother had a way of coming up with some other words in there too that, that, that got your attention.
1: Yes, pay attention.
0: Yeah. Must pay attention. That's it. That's the idea. Pay attention. Pay attention. That's right. So uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's exactly it. So what does Satan want to do to us? He wants to own us. Also, notice here from Luke 22, he wants, to, he wants us to burn with him. And that's, that's the direct idea of this idea of uh, the chaff and the wheat. He wants to sift you like, like chaff and the wheat. Okay. And in ancient times, they would lay the wheat down on a very hard floor and just chop off the good part and leave it there. And then the whole or the chaff part would be gathered into a barrel and they would go burn it. That's exactly what, what Satan is wanting, wanting to do here with Peter. Uh, he's not want, wanting to help Peter grow. He's not wanting to tempt Peter so that Peter can be stronger in his faith. That's not the idea. The idea is he wants to take Peter down. Just think if, if Satan was able to accomplish this, how, what an impact that would have had on the early church. Almost, almost half of the book of Acts has to do with Peter and John's work there in Judea and Jerusalem so Satan would very much love to have taken control of um, of Peter now he's already got Judas basically right in Luke 22 at the very first part of the chapter notice there verse 3 Luke 22:3 Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot He was was numbered with the twelve. And so he's already entered into Judas. He's been directing Judas, and Judas is not resisting. So he wants to control us, and he also wants us to burn with him. Turn over in um, your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 3. We're taking up this little phrase here where Jesus said, He wants to have you that he may sift you like wheat. My idea on this is, I think it's what Jesus meant, is that he he wants Peter to burn. Notice what Jesus, well it's not Jesus, it's John. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Matthew chapter 3. Yes. We're going to be making our way to 12. Let's start in verse 7. Matthew 3 verse 7. This is John the Baptist. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said, Who, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham uh, to our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. Okay, further. He says. I baptize you with water for repentance. repentance. But he who is coming after me. Is mightier than I. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. His winnowing fork. Is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor. And gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff. The chaff. He will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, that's what Satan wants. He wants Peter to be chaff. He wants Peter to not learn. He wants all of us not to learn. He doesn't want us to to have a substance to our faith so that we can become chaff, so that eventually we can be cast into the unquenchable fire. Yeah, it is. it does have that ideal in there of separating good, for evil, good from evil. Okay. So um, when he
1: calls them a brood of vipers, he knew they were coming
0: not in repentance, so that's why he called them that. Yeah, that's why John called them a, a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes.
1: Because they were like coming down to the mansion, but they didn't want to repent Yeah,
0: they had the ideal of. Um, Not really repenting and following him, but since a lot of other people were, they thought they might go ahead and do that as well. But he said, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. And also the next statement there shows that they're not too sincere because it says, don't think to say within yourselves we have Abraham as our father. God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And John was getting them to, say, to see, hopefully, that uh, being right with God is not based on, on your family alliance or who you know, but rather on the condition of your heart. Okay. Okay. But you know the passages that, that deal with um, the afterlife possibly being a, 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 an environment of fire, Uh, Let's just look at one here. Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25 and 41. Jesus will say to those on his left, left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Several passages from the book of Revelation also bring this out. Um, such as Revelation fourteen ten, Revelation twenty one verse eight, Revelation chapter twenty eight through ten, and several others. But uh, that's what Satan wants. We, we've got to know this in order to know our enemy. Okay, he he doesn't. He's not interested in giving us anything good. There's not one good thing he wants. If if possible. The devil would have us to be completely miserable in this life. And then also follow that up with a complete eternity of unquenchable fire. That's what he wants for us. And then going back to Luke 22. Notice also that a third thing the the devil wants for us is to tear us apart. Tear us apart. The last thing the devil wants because he knows it's very, knows it's very dangerous uh, for his cause, is for sincere followers of Christ to be joined together and to be united. Uh, he don't want that. He works very hard. But notice here in Luke 22, verse 24, right here at the that Passover feast, notice what it says, Luke twenty-two, twenty-four. It says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greatest, one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? but I am among you as one who serves. And so Satan is at work not only upon Judas, but he would love to tear the apostles apart as well, lift them up, lift them up with pride. Fortunately, blessed by God, they did open up their eyes and by the time they do, begin to serve Jesus from Pentecost onward, they, they're a much different character than, these, than what they're showing right here. Okay, Now, we want to move to our second big category, and that is what does, um, what does the Lord require of each of us? Before we do that, though, take a trip with me to Romans chapter 8. This is kind of a brief interlude here, but it ties back in Romans 8:31 to 34. But it does tie back into our thoughts here. So notice with me, Romans 8:31 who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Notice that last statement. He's interceding for us. Notice verses 31 to 34 for a second. Notice it teaches that God's cause will be victorious and He wants us to share that with Him. God wants us to be victorious. If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. Then notice also that God will provide what we need to be victorious. In fact, he already has. We have all we need to have to be victorious. And it's been, it's been in our possession as, as human beings uh, since way back uh, toward the first century. Okay, we, we have the Bible. We have the example of Jesus. We have the providence of God. Uh, we have all we need to be victorious. And to prove that, notice what verse 32 says. He that gave up his own son, will he not also provide us thing, the things we need? And so, of course, the answer to that is abundantly yes. Of course he's going to. All right? And then notice from verse 33, the only voice that really matters is God's voice. Okay? Now there will be some who will hurl complaints and condemnations toward the, God's elect. But it is God who justifies. In other words, it is God's voice. His judgments are the only ones, those are the only ones that really matter no matter where, where you're at. Okay, and then there, verse 34, on top of all of this, Jesus is up there at the right hand of God and He's interceding for us. You can't find... Just a few verses put together that's more encouraging than those verses. Brother Larry preached on this uh, back in August here. Very encouraging verses. But the way this ties in is notice that in Luke 22, Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Well, in a sense, Jesus is doing that for us now. He's up there at the right hand of God. He intercedes in our behalf. He pleads our cause uh, to the Father. A couple things about Jesus and our faith, and then we'll get to our next main question. Jesus is pulling for us. He is is our biggest cheerleader. He he wants us to be in heaven more than, than, than we can possibly put into words he, he wants us to have a strong faith and then secondly it's possible for our faith to, to fail Jesus said to Peter I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail he doesn't want our faith to fail but it's, it's possible for our faith to fail when Paul wrote to Timothy 1 Timothy 1 and 19 I think it is he said some had made shipwreck of their faith. They had made shipwreck of their faith. That can happen to anybody. Okay. First Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says you can depart from the faith. Right. And so Jesus wants us to have a strong faith, but that in itself will not necessarily keep us from falling. We have to put forth the effort as well. Now let's go to our next big thought here, and that is, what does God require of us? In, these, in this conversation with Peter, there is implied here that God has um, some expectations of us. And of course, the, the big picture here is that he, he wants us to have a full and uh, growing and um, strong faith. Jesus said I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail and so the very opposite of that of course is to have a very strong vibrant faith okay. but look, we're going we're to break it down more than that okay what does he require of us right. I would say and you're very welcome to to add your comments here but I would say he requires more than our initial faith Notice who he's talking to here. He's talking to Peter. And he says, Peter, your faith is in danger. But this is Peter who had spoken out with a great deal of faith on more than one occasion. Like, what, what is one occasion where Peter spoke out with great faith? What is an occasion where Peter acted on faith? When he stepped out of the boat. Yeah, when he stepped out of the boat onto the water. That yeah, was a great act of faith. Okay. what he told them. Right, exactly. In John chapter 6, Mike is referring there, John 6, one of my favorite little declarations. Um, John 6, 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away also? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But keep reading. Peter goes on to say, and we have believed and have come to know That you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One. That's Peter that said that. So God expects more of us than just our first thought of faith. Or our first acts of faith. Our faith must continue to grow. And to abound in the Lord. And that's what Peter will need to learn. And he does. He absolutely does
1: thirty two uh, it says that uh, and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren. Yeah. So he gives them the permission right then in there you will return. He, he knows that he has this possibility and capability of to returning to him and then strengthening
0: your brethren. Absolutely let's go ahead and throw that in. That's that is a big part of it here. So first he expects us To grow beyond our initial faith, okay. All right. And then, secondly, he expects us to use our faith to strengthen other people. That's what Peter would be expected to do. And Jesus is is just basically predicting that he would fall on this day, but he would he would come back. And when he does come back, he wants them to strengthen the brethren. That's right. As far as an earlier declaration of Peter's faith, Matthew 16 and 16, when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right.
1: You also have the example, when you make mistakes, you can still make it. As Paul reminded Timothy, if I could be converted, as hard-hearted and headed as I was, others can be reached too. And so by our own mistakes, we can sympathize with others and say, hey, if Paul can make it been the chief of sinners, so can you.
0: Okay. Mike is bringing up the point that once Peter gets over this failure, which he is, he is um, setting up to fail here, as we know he denies the Lord, uh, but after that he can bounce back. That is one of the great, one of the great attributes of our God. But think about this point that Julie made for us here in just a minute that, that God wants us to use our faith to strengthen other people. Right? Jesus is going to expand this a little bit with Peter. Turn over to John 21. John 21. Notice this is, this is after his resurrection. This is uh, just prior to the asc- ascension up on high. But Jesus takes Peter aside John 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, John John 21, 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said then uh, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. I think that's kind of an expansion on what Jesus said in Luke 22. When he said, strengthen the brethren. Because how do you do that? You've got to feed them the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. Okay. And so that's what God requires of us. First, that uh, we would grow in our faith. Grow in our faith. We don't want to become dull of hearing, like is mentioned in um, the statement in Hebrews 5:11. We don't want to become dull of hearing and uh, to the point where someone needs to teach us again the first principles of the gospel of Christ. We want to grow in our faith. And then secondly, that we want to use our faith to help other people. A third thing I think that that Jesus would mention here is that he wants our faith to be strong under pressure, under fire. Peter is about to be pressured. Okay. And he's, um, he's um, warming himself around the fire and, he has these people come to him saying, You also were with the one. You're a Galilean too. You were with Jesus. He denied knowing the Lord. He went out and wept bitterly. Mentioned here in Luke 22, I believe, verse 62. Went out and wept bitterly. The Lord to have our faith to stand up under pressure. Notice that Jesus said to him first, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. It's not that the Lord wants us to fail and then learn from that failure later. He wants us not to fail in the first place. Now, of course, he knows we are going to fail. But he wants our goal to be that we would not be we would not do that. Now, Peter is very active in his faith as we know, and we made reference to Acts chapters 4 and 5 on Sunday, but it's just so <coughs> Uh, encouraging to remember how Peter reacted when they, they healed, he and John healed the lame man there in Acts 3 and began to teach and the people were, began to listen so the Jewish leaders just arrested them okay. and um, they finally said well we can't deny deny there's been a miracle here and the people hold them in respect let's just charge them to stop teaching in this name and then we'll let them go. And Pe- they told that to Peter. In Acts four nineteen and 20, Peter said, uh, Whether it's right or not for us to do this, you can decide. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now I say Peter has done what the Lord had wanted him to do in the first place. And that is to become strong in his faith. He is standing up under pressure. And more than once there in the book of Acts. Now John says in 1 John 2 verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you, what? Who who remembers that? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a little statement, but it's so powerful. My children, these things I write unto you that you will not sin. Now, if any man sins, he says, he has an advocate with the Father, but the first instruction there is, do not sin. Do not sin. It's it's entirely possible for us to get to the point where we can reign over sin instead of sin reigning over us. Not going to become sinless, but there ought to be a considerable time where we are are having uh, victory over Satan and not the other way around. It is not required for us to commit a sin. Now, notice what kind of falls out here before us here in Luke 22. What the devil would want to do to us, and what God would require of us in our faith. Let's look at just a couple other references as we close out class here in Luke uh, 22. Notice leading up to this statement in Luke uh, 22, verse 28, Jesus said, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I think this is Jesus' way of saying, once I am at the right hand of God, then my authority is going to be upon you, the apostles. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, he qualified them to teach purely and fully in the name of Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. But he's also saying there's going to be trials going to be trial. So let your eyes go down to Luke twenty two, thirty five. 35. Luke twenty two thirty five. 35. He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or a knapsack or anything like that or sandals, did you lack anything? Well, Jesus had sent them out already on an earlier commission. They said, We didn't lack anything. Okay. So he says, But now... Let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. What Jesus is saying there is, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. You need to keep what you have. Okay. He doesn't really, he's not really saying to them, go out and buy some weapons. He's saying, there's going to be some physical Attacks coming your way. Okay. Because they go on to say. Well Lord we have two swords. He says that's enough. Okay. That shows us of course. If Jesus wanted them to engage in a physical battle. Two swords would not be enough. Okay. But the reason he said that's enough. Is that their battle is going to be a spiritual battle. They're going to be teaching. And giving the example of those. Who are battling for the hearts of men. And not to conquer uh, lands, conquer people in a physical way. So Jesus has so much, he has so much to say and share here, and this is right on the eve of the cross. But notice how he has such a presence of mind to be able to give his disciples the very words that they need, and they would remember. That was part of the Holy Spirit coming upon them is the Holy Spirit would help them to remember what they needed to remember so that they would be able to share those things with uh, folks in the future. Okay. All right, so any, uh, any thoughts you want to share as we come here toward 740,
1: 745? Expense. Sometime when one person can come forward, he influences everyone else to say, hey, there is a second chance.
0: Okay. All right? anyone else?
1: Um, when Jesus was in the garden praying, at the very end, he got up from prayer, and he, he knew all things, so he knew the multitude was coming, but he still said to the disciples, why do you rise and pray lest you enter into temptation? It wasn't just about that moment they should rise up and be praying for us, that they shouldn't be in temptation. That's one of our um, tools that
0: we can take with us. Okay, yeah. Julie is adding that in our faith and getting stronger, the prayer is a great tool as well, as Jesus will show here in Luke 22 when he goes into. Uh, the garden to pray and encourage his disciples to do the same. And then the hand of those, the feet of those who are who are coming to arrest him were', were very near. Okay. All right, appreciate so much, your patience going through some of these thoughts and verses. I encourage you to continue to look into these events of the last week of Jesus. Not really his last week because he spent 40 more days on the earth after his resurrection. But this is a a prominent time in the history of the world. All these events changed the course of the world. How thankful we are for them.